AML Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the AML Hub Podcast. Today we'll be hearing from both Andrew Way and Natasha Ranstey of the Alfred Hospital and Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello everyone, my name is Andrew Way and uh, I'm joined here by um, with Natasha Anstey. Hello Natasha, how are you? Hi Andrew, I'm good, thanks. So we're here today to talk about our two presentations that we delivered at the American Society of Hematology meeting. Uh, I delivered the uh, uh, talk on the clinical data in relation to the AML M16 trial and you presented the correlative data for that trial. Yeah. So what I'll do is um, I'll introduce the clinical uh, study and then perhaps I'll ask you some questions about the correlative studies and what you found. So what is AMLM16? Well, AMLM16 was a randomised placebo-controlled trial conducted by the Australasian Leukaemia and Lymphoma Group. Why did we do this trial? Well, we did this trial because at the time of the commencement of the trial, the RADIFI trial was still uh, in, in process, but the results were not known because they were only published in around 2017. This trial began around 2013. We knew that uh, mitostorum was being uh, utilised uh, in the RADIFI trial, but the question was whether a more potent uh, FLT3 inhibitor <clears throat> that perhaps had greater specificity against the FLT3-ITD might also have a role in FLT3-ITD AML. And so that was the basis of the uh, AML-M16 trial. The trial was conducted by the Australasian Leukaemia and Lymphoma Group and was uh, conducted by sites uh, all around Australia. The trial involved uh, patients who were aged uh, 18 years to 65 and patients needed to have FLT3-ITD, AML, designated by an allelic ratio of 0.05 or greater. The study's primary endpoint was event-free survival and the study was powered to try and show an improvement in event-free survival at two years uh, from 25% to 50%. And we thought we needed about 100 patients to demonstrate this. So the study was randomised in a two-to-one manner between serafinib uh, and placebo, and patients were given the FLT3 inhibitor in combination with intensive induction and consolidation therapy. In Australia, there was a, a tendency to use more intensified doses of chemotherapy for younger patients, and so we utilised intermediate-dose RSE-based induction at a dose of 1.5 grams per metre squared, given twice a day on days 1, 3, 5 and 7, in combination with idorubicin. For older patients between the ages of 56 and 65, they were given conventional 7 plus 3 with idorubicin. And so serafinib or placebo was combined with induction, two cycles of consolidation, and patients were also allowed to have serafinib or placebo for 12 months of maintenance therapy. In this trial, uh, post-transplant FLT3 inhibitor was not administered. So we now know that there are other uh, countries which have performed trials using serafinib in frontline therapy for AML. For instance, MD Anderson has demonstrated a two-year uh, survival of approximately 65%, and the same with a German study uh, led by Christoph Roerlich uh, and in a small uh, subpopulation of patients who had FLT3-ITD. Again, the two-year survival uh, was approximately 65%. 
So in our study, uh, the primary endpoint was two-year event-free survival with events defined as not achieving CR or incomplete CR, relapse or death. And the primary endpoint demonstrated that the two-year event-free survival was 47% in the serafinib arm and 45% in the placebo arm. So essentially a negative study. And so the question to us was, uh, what what was the cause for uh, serafinib not demonstrating uh, superiority when uh, every biological and rational um, thought would suggest that it should be a positive trial. So what was the response rate in each um, arm? Well, the response rate was very high in both treatment arms. It was 91% in the serafinib arm and 94% in the placebo arm. Patients achieved CR in 80% of cases in the serafinib arm and 70% of cases uh, in the placebo arm. So that really didn't explain uh, the, the difference. However, it did uh, demonstrate that even patients in the control arm did extremely well on this trial. And so as I mentioned, 94% of patients got into remission even though they did not have a FLT3 inhibitor. We next looked at the uh, quality of the responses. Uh, patients that achieved CR or CRI and what was their relapse-free survival. Interestingly, we found that patients who achieved a true CR, that if they received serafinib, they had a much uh, better relapse-free survival uh, of 61% compared to only 36% of the patients in the placebo arm. So clearly uh, less relapses for patients receiving serafinib, but only if they achieved a true CR. For patients that didn't achieve a CR, that is a CRI, there was no difference in relapse-free survival. We next looked at overall survival, and uh, uh, overall survival in the serafinib arm was 67% versus 56% in the placebo arm. So a slight improvement for serafinib. So the question was, uh, what subgroups were doing better in the serafinib arm? Is there a subgroup population that benefits from serafinib, whereas uh, others perhaps less so? So we know from the ratified trial that patients did particularly well after transplant uh, in the mitostorin arm. So we looked at two-year survival um, in patients that had a stem cell transplant in first remission. And we did, in fact, identify that patients did uh, do better in the serafinib arm with a two-year survival that was 20% uh, greater for serafinib at 74% versus 53% for those receiving a placebo. Males were also found to do better with uh, serafinib compared to females, which was, again, similar to the ratified trial. What about age? As I mentioned before, younger patients received more intensive chemotherapy compared to older patients. Interestingly, older patients did better with a two-year survival of 72%, um, so 56% versus 37%, whereas there was less difference between the younger patients. And again, this may have been equalised by our use of more intensified uh, chemotherapy uh, in both arms. What about on-target uh, efficacy? So we looked at patients with a high uh, allelic ratio of at least 0.7. And interestingly, we found that there was a substantial uh, benefit in favour of serafinib with a two-year survival of 70% um, for those with a high allelic ratio compared to uh, 35% in placebo. Whereas patients that had a lower allelic ratio, there was no difference in survival, suggesting, um, in summary, that serafinib in our trial, although there was no overall improvement in rent-free survival, led to uh, benefits in patients uh, who achieved a complete remission, uh, for patients that went on to transplant in first remission, 
uh, and also benefits for patients who were male and for those that had high uh, flick 3 allelic burden. And so the next question was, uh, did we actually hit the target and what happened to uh, minimal residual disease? And so to try and answer these questions, uh, uh, Natasha Anstey, who is a molecular biologist, uh, performed some interesting correlative studies. So Natasha, what, what did you find? Yeah, so I guess the um, correlative studies that we did were broken down into two main parts. One looking at what the efficacy of the dosing schedule was like and how effective the dosing was in terms of inhibiting FLT3. And then the second part looking at the, the response of the leukemia, leukemia and the MRD response. Um, so in the terms of the first part, we were able to take... Um, plasma from various points throughout the induction therapy and we could use the plasma inhibitory assay which is a means to measure the level of um, FLT3 inhibition by measuring phospho-FLT3 and what we were able to show was that 88% of the patients who were treated with serafinib did have a um, plasma inhibitory response. Um, and that, importantly, the response was um, associated with a reduced risk of relapse. So those patients that had a PAA response, only 32% of them went on to relapse compared to 62% of those patients that didn't have a plasma inhibitory response. Um, in terms of how the leukemias responded to the treatment, this was done by looking at the FLT3 ITD levels throughout the treatment journey from diagnosis um, after the induction cycles and consolidation cycles of therapy and also at relapse um, using an NGS-based assay where we can measure the level of FLT3 ITD. And with this, we were able to show that the serafinib patients who were in CR had the highest level of MRD negativity. So for this assay, our limit of detection was 0.001% VAF. And so levels below this was what we deemed to be MRD negative. And yet the serafinib patients in CR had the highest rate of um, MRD negativity. And what was also interesting to find was that when we looked at the patients who were in CR, the presence of MRD was associated with an increased risk of relapse, suggesting that the MRD negativity did um, indicate some kind of ultimate um, response, like long-term response. Um, you mean people, uh, you mean people that uh, didn't achieve um, molecular negativity had a higher relapse rate? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so um, just looking at the patients who are in CR and then those that went on to relapse. Um, speaking of relapse, I also looked at the relapse patients and wanted to look at the molecular makeup of these and in particular the level of FLT3 ITD at relapse. And what was really interesting to find was that even though there was an equal proportion of patients who went on to relapse in both the serafinib and the placebo arms. In the serafinib arm, over half of the patients relapsed with FLT3 ITD negative AML, um, as opposed to the um, placebo arm where 
90% of them were FLT3 ITD positive at relapse. So this was another key difference between the two treatments. And it was interesting because uh, when we looked at patients uh, when they relapsed, um, which you've just told us in the serafinib arm, were more likely to have a FLT3 negative uh, relapse. Uh, the survival from relapse was paradoxically um, better in the serafinib arm compared to the placebo arm. And so it made us wonder, in fact, whether patients that uh, relapsed in the serafinib arm, because they relapsed without FLT3-ITD, they were more salvageable uh, with subsequent therapy compared to patients uh, in the placebo arm where they obviously relapsed more frequently with FLT3-ITD, they did more poorly uh, with further treatment. And so uh, it'll be interesting when you do some more work to identify uh, what were the mutations present yeah. in these uh, serafinib relapsing uh, patients. Yeah, and that's currently what I'm doing at the moment, looking to see what other co-mutations occurred in the patients, both at diagnosis, which therefore impacted the response, um, but also what um, the relapse patients have and what was the common cause of relapse in these patients that were FLT3-ITD negative. Yeah. There was another uh, paper presented at ASH uh, from the German AML group, which uh, looked at uh, patients from uh, the, the Ratify study treated with mitostorin, and uh, I think they showed that perhaps patients that had a FLT3-ITD spanning the TKD1 domain uh, perhaps didn't do so well uh, on the mitostorin arm. Uh, did you happen to look at this with respect to serafinib? Yeah, so um, it was interesting when we saw the abstracts of the German group looking at this, we went and looked at our data as well. And I also found that in my um, the group of patients that the um, insertion site of the FLT3-ITD in the TKD um, domain was associated with a reduced response Um but didn't correlate with um, the relapse risk at all. But there was a reduced proportion of patients um, that were entering CR if they had um, insertion in the TKD site, which was interesting to find, yeah. Great. So just in summary and closing, uh, what have we learned from this trial? Well, uh, we've learned uh, that uh, serafinib in combination with intensive induction, consolidation and maintenance therapy uh, did not improve event-free survival when we looked at the complete population of patients treated. However, there were subgroups of patients that we did identify some potential benefit from serafinib, and these include uh, patients who um, had a high FLT3 uh, ITD allelic ratio, uh, patients that uh, went on to transplant uh, in first remission, uh, males uh, also had a, had a greater benefit, and also patients that achieved uh, a true complete remission rather than an incomplete uh, CR. Uh, Natasha presented uh, convincing data that we were getting a pharmacodynamic on-target effect from uh, serafinib, and we also found a higher proportion of patients who achieved FLT3-ITD negativity after uh, induction. Furthermore, there was a really interesting uh, observation that patients at relapse had a, a almost 50% tendency to lose the FLT3 um, mutation at relapse compared to placebo. That said, I think it's still fair to say that uh, mitostorin uh, remains the standard of care for first-line for three mutant patients, and it'll be really interesting to see the results of upcoming studies, which are looking at uh, next-generation FLT3 inhibitors, such as quizartinib, quinolinib, and also uh, gilteritinib. 
So thank you, Natasha, for uh, speaking uh, uh, with me today. And uh, thanks to the audience for listening to this podcast. And we hope you found it interesting and that we've learned something together about Flip3 Mutant AML. Thank you. Thank you. AML Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support.